Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, European Rate Strategist, and I'm joined today by our Global Rate Specialists, Giles Gale, Head of European Rate Strategy, Blake Gwynn, Head of US Rate Strategy, and Theo Chapsalis, Head of UK Rate Strategy. And welcome back to another week of Bondcast, um, another week of yields moving higher and, and steeper curves. And um, Theo, I'll start with you this week because I think just last week we were talking about how you'd updated your gilt forecast for 10-year gilts. Uh, and this week I'll give you the glory of, of being allowed to, to celebrate that you hit that target. So uh, what are you thinking from here and, and what's the kind of main topics of discussion that, that you're thinking about for the UK this week? Sure. Thank you, Imogen. Very, <laughs> very kind of you. I think it is interesting that uh, the sell-off has happened uh, at a fairly fast pace. So we've reached 0.75 uh, yesterday and uh, as of today, so 20, the 24th of February, uh, we are easily at that level. I think what is interesting is that the UK keeps underperforming other markets. So the story of UK being the one that leads in the sell-off uh, still is is, 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 is there. We continue to see the repricing of that uh, low for longer in the UK uh, that is being taken out. I think what is very interesting is also what happens with, um, you know, with, with expectations and thoughts about supply. And this is also, you know, something that for us, it's, it's, it's important what's going on um, with the budget. So as things stand, probably there is good reason still to be short UK rates. Um, probably the, the high will be somewhere between 0.75 and 1%. Now, it is difficult to pinpoint that because we will be looking for a level where the market can be oversold. And at some point, valuations will obviously be stretched on the other side. Uh, but, you know, from, from, from a long-term point of view, we are not very far from, uh, from, from fair value. So the bigger question is, how much does the market go stretched and, and cheaper now? And whether with regards to the budget, we get any additional cheapening as the market will have to price in more backdated issuance at the same time, a lot more linkage, which is very important for the level of yields. Thanks, Diana. I'm sure we'll discuss the, the budget next week in, in much more detail, but let's switch over to the US then, Blake. I know you've updated your forecast this week for even steeper curves and, and just looking at the markets today, that, that's exactly what's happening. So uh, can you talk us through the, the thought process there and, and what's kind of key this week? Yeah, well, in a way, um, you know, the market kind of forced our hand. Um, we came into the year expecting higher yields, steeper curves, but it just happened a lot faster and a lot quicker than we had expected. Um, you know, a couple sources of that surprise, one obviously being uh, results of the Georgia election and um, really just kind of how quickly, uh, you know, markets have kind of taken on that that uh, optimism around fiscal stimulus. And um, I would say also just kind of how well the data's done through the surge that we had uh, kind of late last year into this year in COVID cases. You know, a lot of the data we've gotten so far seems to be, uh, seems to have remained fairly resilient. Um, and also, I think to some extent, you know, we've seen um, the Fed pull back from this idea we had been kind of focused on, which is uh, an extension of their maturity per maturity of their purchase program. Um, so, you know, start buying more long dated treasuries to kind of push down yields at the back end of the curve. Um, we didn't necessarily think they would do that, but um, it, it was something that was a very hot topic back in December of last year. Um, and, and, you know, we had thought would kind of carry over into this year and, and continue uh, th that discussion would continue to keep uh, 
some kind of lid on how much uh, steepening and how much yield increase we would see at the beginning of the year. But we were kind of surprised on all those fronts. We've moved a lot quicker, a lot faster. So, um, you know, once we hit those year end targets, um, you know, we were kind of left with the choice to either uh, kind of get out of steepeners, get, you know, uh, reverse that call, start to fade or or extend. And um, I think just kind of giving, looking at the landscape as it currently exists, um, you know, it was a pretty easy choice to extend. Uh, this week specifically, I think, um, is, is a very Fed heavy week. Uh, we've obviously got Powell uh, doing his semi-annual congressional testimony. First day of that was yesterday. We've got him back again today. Uh, we've also got uh, Clarida and Brainer today. So, you know, really kind of the big Fed names are, are all speaking this week. Um, you know, yesterday for Powell, I mean, you know, he largely maintained the tone he'd had recently. Um, you know, I think emphasizing the need to, to continue uh, to provide accommodation to the economy, um, continuing to kind of downplay inflation risks, saying that um, you know the Fed would be very quick to look through any anything that they viewed as temporary. Um, and I, I think one thing that I at least noted was was how frequently some of these like social issues came up. Um, this is a topic and, and a theme that I've been uh, talking about for a while now, which is that um, you know this increased focus by the Fed on on inequality, both social income, uh, is really going to affect uh, the way they kind of behave uh, into the next hiking cycle, basically delaying it, uh, uh, potentially flattening the next hiking cycle, um, and just seeing how much Congress really pressed on those issues, um, you know, that that reinforced that view. So we'll see what we get today from, from kind of the big three um, and see if there's any change in tone. Thanks, Blake. And I think, you know, that one of the, the big themes of this week really is, is all about central banks. And when we talk about higher yields, how much we expect them or, or see them pushing back really on on those high yields so we'll come back to that um after Giles I've just given you a chance to kind of update on on the moves this week I know we have similar views to Blake in the US we expect yields going higher and, and steeper curves as we've said many times on this podcast um and it has been another good week for those trades yeah, I mean, I think that you know a lot of the focus this week has been naturally about um, you know, about the inflation theme and so on. But um, you know, there, there's also been a lot of focus about um, you know the the way that that's being incorporated into uh, the European thinking. I mean, break-even inflation actually fell um, over the last couple of weeks, let's say, and so a lot of people had highlighted, you know, uh, and we'll come back to this as you say, Imogen. Um, uh, they'd highlighted the the rise in in real rates as potentially a risk, and there was also quite a bit of focus, you know, just on the you know, breakdown of short term correlations. You now, this sort of you know, the, 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 in in the short term, typically <clears throat> bonds and stocks move in opposite directions. It's what we call a risk on risk off, and that um, you know, didn't work for for a couple of days. You know, I think that there's a, a very big picture story to tell one day about that, but um, you know, it certainly got people uh, talking about that just on the micro base so i think i think that's you know it's too, it's too early to really you know draw too much out out of that and i don't i don't think that's probably all that likely to be sustained i mean you know basically european rates have been outperforming um us and, and uk which i think is completely justified given events you know data politics you know i mean even the switch from um you know, extreme covid pessimism in january to you know 
significantly more optimism, I think, has also been more of an Anglo-Saxon story than European um, on both sides. You know, I mean, <laughs> excess pessimism and then you know, and, and then much more optimism. You know, so I think that's all in the mix. But overall, we we do expect European markets to to take all of this um, on board more seriously, and um, I think that there's probably some catch up to to happen there. Um, you know, I mean, I, I guess that the color from discussions and also from our trading and sales has been that overall, you know, although we have sort of plateaued a little bit, I mean, as in the, the sell-off has lost a little bit of its its steam, it, it seems like there are more signs really of, of softness out there, um, you know, difficulty um, in just seeing paper that as it's supplied to the market being you know, fully digested as you would say um you know you can see that in a few places like for example asset swaps tighter um you know, i think that's you know, there's been some difficulties in liquidity and uh, you know, just a, a, around positioning in, in in swaps which um you know, feed into that also you know, lighter supply this week you know, just means less buying of uh, a paper on asset swap you know, so that was an interesting move to i guess also just higher higher levels means you know increasingly potentially more bid for paper out outright um and you know, possibly even higher quality paper compared to spreads so those are the main themes i think in the in the markets just all gathered together great thank you and, and i would say the the real main question that we've been fielding from all of our kind of client discussions this week is just around, you know, as I said earlier, to what extent if we expect yields to continue to shift higher and particularly in Europe where they've been outperforming, but we expect them to, to kind of catch up, um, you know, to what extent do we expect the central bank to be okay with that or or even perhaps push back on that you know we had a big response in in European markets to Lagarde earlier this week saying that they're monitoring them very closely um, do you think we get anything more from the ECB or do you think that that is really the the limit of their intervention if you like when when it comes to higher particularly higher longer end yields yeah, I mean, I think that the sell-off that we, sorry, the, the rally that we had on um, on those Lagarde comments was told us far more about the way that the market was positioned uh, than anything else. I, I also think it was because it just happened to be at the beginning of a, week, of a week where people were primed to be looking for this kind of pushback, particularly because they knew that the very next day they had the uh, the bigger event in a way, which was uh, Powell's testimony in the Senate, and yeah, so, so so anyway, there's a big a big reaction on that, which wasn't really sustained. Um, now, what what does it mean? I mean, frankly. I don't think you could have expected her to have said any less, really. I mean, of course, she could have not said anything, but I don't think that was really on the cards. And the way I've, I've been saying it is, is it seems like the market, when it comes to the ECB, always just wants to focus on you know, potential triggers to, you know, to, to get more intervention rather than just status quo. I mean, you know, six weeks ago, there was a lot of focus on the euro, which has obviously gone away. And now people you know, are just noticing that we've had a little bit of a backup in, in yield levels and uh, you know, particular real yields. But in the scheme of things, this doesn't matter that much. I mean, you know, the ECB, as it said time and time and again, you know, will consider a, a broad range of indicators and a kind of scorecard. And I suppose that we'll probably hear more specifically about how they expect to sort of 
put those together and in, in, in at the next meeting at least that was the indication that we had back in january for now the measures that we have composed to um to try to track something which might be not too far from what they're thinking point to very very easy uh, financing conditions still and really nothing that demands a response in the short term and listen you know we we have the weekly purchases from the ecb and we can see that in the last three weeks their gross purchases have actually been week on week um falling slightly so now this isn't something that's obviously going on at the minute it'll be interesting to see if the evidence for this week when it comes out is um is, is any different i i suspect it probably won't and I'll just say one more thing. I mean, you know, the ECB doesn't have to, to doesn't have to tell us that it's going to do anything. Um, you know, it's it's got this huge pro, um, huge envelope for its asset purchases, and it can use, you know, and, and within that, it can do almost anything it likes on a week to week basis, and doesn't really have to tell us about it. But I think that they will before you know if they before meaningfully changing what they're doing, just because. You know, putting actions and words together is a far more efficient way of getting the outcome that you want than just throwing money at something. Okay, so just to, I guess, round up that, that discussion on the European side before we flip back to US, because I do think that this is a, a global theme, um, but is there for the benefit of listeners rather than me, um, is there a level uh, or spread even perhaps for, for the ECB, which I guess is a bit different to, to the US, is there a, a level of bond yields or perhaps a peripheral bond spread at which you think they might start to get more concerned and push back more heavily? No, that's absolutely right. I mean, it's not just bond yields, obviously, that uh, that that matter. I mean, you know, they they do care about spreads. You know, we know that we've seen that before, and you know, in in some sense, they probably care more about spreads than um, than, than risk risk free rates. Um, you know, I think the line, and I'm sure you know that this you'll hear from Blake in a second as well. But I think it so it it also applies in in Europe. You know, as long as rising yields are, are felt to be justified by fundamentals that you know, in, in their in the way that they would talk about it their language they, you know, endogenous rather than exogenous then you know, this is probably fine and you now i think that at the moment you would link the rise in rates to greater confidence about recovery prospects and so you know from that perspective it's not something particularly to, to worry about is there a level no i mean clearly there isn't a level when you when you're looking at a, a scorecard of indicators there's never a level on one individual thing um so you know you have to take into account you know, how how that affects the overall overall mix i would say but listen i mean you know, just because everybody wants to hear what <laughs> the level is you know i would say you know well, i mean we've in the last few weeks we've been at all-time lows in in real rates and we're a little bit off that um you know, I, I would say that you know, nominal yields don't matter that much. It's all about real yields when it really comes down to it. And um, you know, I could see those you know, rising 30, 40 basis points in the right conditions before it's particularly a problem. I think I think it's it's also the speed of the move that matters. Uh, you know, so. You know, they would lean, I would expect, against excess volatility. But even then, I don't, I don't particularly feel that we've seen that yet. 
Okay, great. Thank you. And, and just to flag as well that we should learn or hopefully might learn a little bit more about what they're really thinking in terms of financial conditions and, and how they define those in, in the March meeting. So I'm sure that's something we'll discuss in more detail on this podcast in the coming weeks. Okay. So over to you then, Blake, because it's not just being a European theme, it's definitely a global thing. Like you said, we had um, Powell's semi-annual testimony this week, or we've had, when we're recording this, we've had the first day. Um, there were questions, you know, around this that fielded to him. Um, and like Lagarde, I would say he didn't push back too much on those. Is that in line with your expectations or do you expect more questions to come today and then push back further? Or, or do you think what he said was, was roughly right? Um, so yeah, I mean, just to, to kind of level set yesterday, he essentially repeated the language that we've been hearing for months out of uh, most FOMC members, which is essentially that um, he's completely comfortable with where yields are with what the curve has done. And that's because, you know, as Giles was saying, I mean, this is um, what I've been kind of referring to as a quote unquote, good rise in yields. Um, it's been driven by those fundamentals that that Giles mentioned, um, you know, it's largely come on the back of um, expectations for fiscal stimulus, you know, uh, a development of that vaccines, um, better, you know, better data out of the U.S. than expected. Um, these are all the right reasons for a yield increase. And I think as long as that's what's been driving it, Fed's been totally fine with it. Um, they've been very comfortable. And I think it also helps that um, when you look across this basket of uh, financial conditions, which, you know, much like uh, in Europe, the Fed is very uh, focused on a a broad basket of, of financial conditions, not any particular yield level. Um, and when you look across the rest of the conditions, this rally, uh, or I'm sorry, the sell-off has, has been um, exactly what I think the Fed would have hoped for. It's been ideal. You've had equities rising, break-evens have been going up, um, credit spreads have been tightening, re kind of real borrowing rates for the economy have remained very low, mortgage rates are very low, and as I said, credit spreads are very low. So, so borrowing rates, uh, um, still very accommodative. Um, and, and real rates have remained uh, essentially flat at, at near all-time lows. So, um, from the Fed's perspective, you know this rise in nominal yields has has not been troubling at all. Um, I do think this last week has shifted a little. The, the tone was a little bit different this last week. So this was the first time we really saw uh, real yields start to rise quite rapidly. I mean, particularly at the long end, we saw a very big rise in, in U.S. real yields. Um, we also started to see equities falter a little bit. Break-evens actually fell. Inflation expectations started to back up for the first time. If you look at mortgage rates, mortgage rates have uh, just shot up. Uh, you know, they were down near 280, up, up, up around 310, 315 now uh, for 30-year mortgage rates in the U.S. So you're starting to see those, you know, if you look across that broader basket of conditions, I think you, um, you know, you're starting to see some signs over the last week that this last leg of the sell-off has not felt exactly uh, the same as the one before. It's it's felt more like a bad sell-off. Um, and I would note that that also the conditions around that, you know, Giles said fundamental, uh, you know, a fundamental-based sell-off is really a good one. This has felt a little more technical this last week. We've heard a lot of talk about convexity flows. Um, you know, we've we've seen some supply indigestion. Um, you know, another thing Giles mentioned was uh, uh, spreads. You know, we, we've seen spreads actually start to turn the other direction, particularly the long end, which, you know, could be a sign that, um, you know, markets are struggling a little bit to take down supply. We did have 10s and 30s two weeks ago, 20s, 20 year supply last week. So the, the market did take down a lot of long end supply and could be struggling with that. If those are the reasons that we've had, uh, uh, you know, if we continue to have yield rises, convexity flows, supply issues, and those rises in yields are starting to, to kind of filter out to these other financial conditions, I do think 
the Fed will get worried, but it's still far too early for that, which is why yesterday, I think it, it was unsurprising that, that Powell basically just maintained the language that they've had for, for, for you know, quite some time. That, that they're comfortable with this yield move. And I wouldn't be surprised if today he repeats that. I mean, he's probably going to be asked about this again. He'll repeat the same uh, kind of language. And I wouldn't be surprised if Brainerd and Clarida in their comments today also, if, it, if it's addressed, they'll use a very similar tone that they're comfortable with the level of yields and uh, a reminder that they look at a basket of financial conditions. But I do think it's fair, given what we've seen the last week, if this turns into a broader trend, you know, one week is not enough. But if this continues for three, four weeks, and we do start to see equities stumble, inflation, uh, you know, inflation expectations start to pull back, borrowing rates, credit spreads start to, you know, show that the borrowing conditions are tightening up. Um, that's the thing where I think the Fed would, would may start to change their language. I wouldn't expect something as forceful as uh, actually changing, making a change to their asset program yet. Um, but if they do change their language, if, if Powell and others start to say, you know, we're concerned uh, about uh, where yields are going and, and what that kind of means for financial conditions, um, the market's going to read forward on that and say, well, if they're concerned, what are they going to do about it? The next step would be you know, altering their asset purchase. So even if they never get to that point, I think that's where the market's mind starts going if we start to see that shift in tone from the Fed. So that is your kind of playbook of, of how this would work out. You think it's more strong intervention and then actual intervention would come via um, you know, announced shifts to their asset purchases rather than anything else. If, if they were to, to take action, it would be, um, yeah, it would be first through language and, you know, hopefully uh, that would be enough to, to kind of correct the issue. And, and if not, I mean, they can always back it up, back up that language with, um, you know, with, with asset purchases. Fair enough. I, I presume, I mean, I know you recently updated your year end target for 10 year treasuries to 155. So we're only, what, 15 basis points away from that now so we might be there by the time this airs (laughs) (laughs) that's true i should caveat that um but i I presume in you know obviously it depends around the drivers of the move but even if we get there over the next kind of few weeks that's not really a a fast enough shift for for the fed to get worried about the kind of pace of of rising yields I, i i you know really agreed with um you know what giles said about pace being an issue. It's, it's not just the level. I mean, I, I do think the speed at which we get there and, and kind of, um, I, I want to say kind of the feel of it, the vibe of it. If, it. if it does seem like it's supply driven, if we're hearing about convexity flows and it's not, you know, there's no real fundamental drivers that are, that are clearly bolstering the move. You know, we haven't gotten some, uh, uh, you know, big headline on stimulus or, or something like that. Um, you know, I, I, I do think that that's, that's going to be somewhat worrying to the Fed. And I would say what might be the ultimate trigger is more so than yields is something like equities. I mean, if, if a very sharp rise in yields starts to, uh, uh, you know, triggers a pullback in equities, we've seen in the past that the Fed, um, you know, for better or worse, does seem to be very responsive to, to large drop in equity prices. And um, that is always something that has seemed in the past to prompt them into action. So, um, you know, it may not even be that uh, there's some kind of nominal yield trigger or even real yield trigger that is a line in the, in the sand that they want to, to protect. But if we see a very sharp, rapid move um, and, and equities uh, start to pull back um, on top of inflation expectations, credit spreads and other things, I, I think that's uh, that's what would really prompt the Fed rather than, um, you know, any particular rate move. 
Okay, great. So a lot to watch out for then in, in the next few weeks. I'm sure this is discussion this discussion is one that we're going to come back to um, time and time again if yields do keep rising as we have in our base case forecasts. Um, okay, thank you everyone. That was um, nice to chat to you all this week and we'll catch up next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bondcast. Please do subscribe to our channel to get future episodes and like it as this will help others to find it. We also encourage you to follow us on social media to get all our latest content. Speak to you again soon.